0: My name is Chad Cruiser, and my wife, Fadia. We will both be presenting together the seminar. I'll begin and we'll go back and forth, basically. Um, Just to give you a little background of what we do, Fadia and I have been in ministry for about nine years, almost ten, and we've been traveling around. We've been consistently putting on evangelistic meetings full-time throughout the United States and Europe. And we speak kind of all over the place, but what, we, what was happening was as we were doing evangelistic meetings, we were meeting a lot of people. You know, it's been historically popular to do stop smoking classes in our, you know, our prophecy series and so forth. But I don't know if you've noticed, but people don't only struggle with smoking, Right. I mean, people come to our meetings, and they don't just struggle with smoking. It's smoking may be a very outward uh, you know, thing, and so we did those seminars. We did the seminars on stop smoking, but we began to realize you know, people have all kinds of uh, you know, addictions, whether they're to a substance like drugs or whether it's something that they're just struggling with, maybe a personal habit that other people wouldn't think of as an addiction, but they know it's personally something that's destroying their life. And so uh, that kind of, while working with people, we kind of saw the need of that, and things began to spring out of this while we were uh, working with people. It, we began to add more and more to a seminar, and it became what is now the Overcoming Seminar. So we're going to share with you mainly what is our first day of the Overcoming Seminar. We've just basically added one other thing into it that comes from one of the other meetings. But it's kind of a progressional and we, uh, seminar. We can only go, you know, since we only have the one hour today, uh, we'll do our best in what we can. But you're not going to get everything, but that's basically what we do. We put on seminars about Bible prophecy. We put on seminars about overcoming habits and addictions, which we generally do in tandem. Normally, after an evangelistic meeting, immediately, we start, like the day after, the day, like maybe two days after, we start a five-day overcoming seminar. And generally, most of the seminar ends up coming out to the overcoming seminar after the prophecy seminar. Um, That just gives you a little backup. We also do seminars on creation versus evolution, and we do, um, I'm gonna show you just a very quick clip of, we, we produce documentaries, and you're not gonna be able to hear it very well, but I can just kinda of talk about it a little bit as it's going on. Um, we have a ministry called Anchor Point Films, and we go around to archeologists, theologians, and scholars, and we make documentaries that look like what people are already used to watching on Discovery Channel or History Channel. But instead of being skeptical, like you're always going to see on the regular, you know, mainstream media, What we do is we're basically going point by point through the Adventist message. So, uh, you know, we we get testimonies from all kinds of different people. Just last night, a businessman from Chicago called us up. uh, Actually, a suburb of Chicago called us up and he said, I just gave this, uh, the first three DVDs to, uh, he was at the dentist. He gave it to his dental hygienist. He said, she called him up sometime later and she said, I've learned so much from these DVDs. She said, I I, want to come to your church and I want to be baptized you know, she's probably not ready to be baptized yet, but the point, you know, the Lord is using them, they're something that, uh, it just looks like what they're already used to watching on TV, so it's not just a sermon, so it goes back and forth between different people, like Michael Hosel, who's a archaeologist, so that's basically what we do, we're going through the whole Adventist message, we have secular, or we have students on secular campuses getting these out, uh, doctors to their patients, dentists to their patients, uh, they're called Scripture Mysteries Documentary Series, and so that's that. I won't go into any more of that. I just want to let you guys, you folks, know what we do. And now we'll get started with the overcoming seminar. But let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time to come together. Every single one of us probably has something that we'd like to let go of. We have some character flaw, something, some part of our character that we realize needs change. And we're not saved by that change. We're saved through, by faith, by, you know, by the grace of you, Father. It's not by our own strength. But, Father, I pray that now as we look into your word, as we talk about science, that you would teach us, that you would help us to be overcomers in the areas of our lives that we we truly know that we need to overcome. And some we're going to learn about new things that maybe we didn't even realize we had a problem with. But we pray that you would touch our hearts and draw us near to you and make us victorious. In the name of Jesus, amen. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6 and 7 say, "And And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who thirsts I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. He who overcomes will inherit all things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Revelation tells us that Jesus tells us that what? He says, He that overcomes shall inherit all things. Now, I want to be very, very clear. It is not the overcoming itself that enables you to have eternal life, right? It's not because you've done something good that you get eternal life. It is because Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, and you accept Him as your Savior, and His perfect life stands in the place of your, you know, despicable life, and He takes your place. I want to be very clear In in the issue of salvation by works, there is only one way to be saved by your works. There is only one way. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Now, if the wages of sin is death, uh, think it through. How could you be righteous by faith? Well, if you have sinned, you deserve to what? Die. And all have sinned, so all deserve to die. So the only way to be righteous then by your works would be to, number one, you'd have to die, and number two, you'd have to resurrect yourself and then live the rest of your life perfectly. Then you would deserve, then you would have righteousness by works, right? But you can't do that, so the only way that you can be righteous is to be righteous by faith, right? So this is not a seminar on, you know, good works will get you into heaven. But it is a seminar on how God can give you victory. And it's not the victory that gets you into heaven, but God as a gift along with salvation wants to make us overcomers. Does that make sense? So this is not some kind of, you know, good acts get us into heaven. I want to clarify that before we go any further. You know, we're talking about in this seminar some things to overcome. Several different things to overcome. Number one, chronic stress. And we don't have time to, I, man, that would have been a good one to go into today, but we didn't put the slides in today. But there's there's two different kinds of stress at least. There is uh, active stress and passive stress. And sometimes stress can actually be good for you. It can actually uh, bump up your immune system. It's only when it's unusually prolonged does it become a negative factor and actually it becomes harmful to your body. We don't have time to go into that in detail today, but we don't want to be chronically living in stress it actually can kill us it actually can bring about different diseases number two we want to overcome anger or lack of forgiveness now anger in and of itself is not bad the bible says be angry and sin not right so there is a form of anger that is godly but i'm guessing most of the anger you have is not the kind from god right most of the time, it is something that we, you know, it's, it's selfishness, it's pride, it's whatever, but it's not normally a righteous indignation. So we don't want to live a lifestyle of, of being angry. Number three, we also want to overcome eating disorders or eating unhealthy food. Meaning eating disorders may range from things, you know, from people who are eating too much, or eating too little, or you know gorging themselves and vomiting and all these kinds of things, the Lord wants to give us victory over these areas of our life. Number four, we want to overcome addictions such as smoking, drinking, drugs, pornography, and lust, television gambling, or you fill in the blank. You may not have one of the uh, seeming addictions that we have listed here, but you may have some kind of habit that you know God is calling you to overcome, and so you know, you fill in the blank for yourself. We're not asking you to confess your sins and tell everybody here what you're trying to overcome. Uh, it's really, uh, we're actually told that secret sins are to be confessed secretly. Public sins are to be confessed publicly. Meaning, if I'm angry with someone here in the meeting in front of all of you, I sh- probably should, you know, say, hey, I'm sorry. I was, I was mean to this brother here. I'm sorry for doing that to you. Uh, but meaning, if uh, if I have a secret sin, that should be confessed secretly to God. That's kind of the way it works. So, We're not in the business of making everybody come and confess their sins to us. That is not quite biblical. But the basic tenor of the seminar is this quote. And it is this. It is, Never forget that thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. So never forget that thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. Very, very important. This is a, Uh, If you're wondering where it's found, it's in letter 85, March 16, 1896. Letter 85, March 16, 1896. So never forget that thoughts work out actions. Meaning this. It's as simple as this. Uh, You have thoughts going on in your head, and when you think those thoughts enough, it will cause you to act upon them, which are actions, obviously. You do the actions enough, those actions turn into habits, and your habits altogether are who you are. It's your character. (coughs) Does that make sense? So you are basically the accumulation to a certain degree of what goes on inside your mind. So thoughts work out, actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. But normally when we want to change something, we want to change our character, or we want to change our habits, or we want to change our actions. So we try to change those, but what we don't realize is if the thoughts aren't changed, nothing is really going to change. Nothing is going to change. So this is the basic tenor of the seminar, that never forget thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits and habits form character. Now this is a biblical principle. We find it in places like Romans chapter 12 verse two. "Be ye transformed." How? By the renewing of your mind. If you want to be changed, you have to be changed here, and God isn't looking for us to be, you know, <clears throat> fantastic at our outward demeanor and have inside full of dead men's bones like the Pharisees, right? Whitewashed sepulchers and these kinds of things. God wants to change us from within. And if we are changed from within, we will be changed without, right? Our outside will be changed. Isaiah 26, verse 3, powerful promise for us, especially if you're struggling with stress or anger or whatever. Isaiah 26, verse 3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So once again, it's the mind. It all stems from what goes on in the mind. How many of you have heard of Phineas Gage? Anybody heard of Phineas Gage? Several of you. Several of you, especially if you've gone through uh, maybe Neil Nedley's program. Um, Now, Phineas Gage was a Vermont railroad worker. He was the foreman of his railroad crew. He's a diligent worker. And what they would do is they they were basically uh, laying down track or at least preparing to lay down track. So what they would do is they would they would drill into the rock because you know a lot of rock there in Vermont, drill down into the rock and they would you know put some kind of igniting powder something like gunpowder in there. They would put sand on top of it and they would take a large metal rod called a tamping iron and they would pack it down inside this hole and then they would have some kind of fuse or something that would be lit or ignited and it'd explode and blow the rock away and later on they could lay the track down. Well one particular day Phineas was working there preparing the railroad and as he was taking that metal tamping iron, he was pushing it down inside that hole, and something happened. They don't know. Maybe, maybe he didn't, they didn't put the sand in there, but it ignited, and that rod, as it exploded, shot up and hit him under the cheek and blew out the top of his skull. And just to give you an idea, the top portion of this picture is the frontal lobe. It's kind of like if you're looking down on someone, and they're laying you know, with their you know, nose toward the ceiling here. Uh, that's the frontal lobe there. And what happened is the rod blew up through his skull and gave him an accidental lobotomy, frontal lobotomy. And so this is literally what happened. It blew through the bottom cheek. It took out his eye, or at least his, his eye wasn't usable after that. It blew out a portion of the brain, and, and that rod just kept going. It went like, I don't know, 100 feet or more, just I mean, like a missile shot right through him. Well, what happened? Phineas Gage was a foreman of a railroad crew, faithful husband and father. He was well-liked, and he was a, you know, by his fellow workers, he was a religious man, and he was in regular church attendance until that, you know, amazing day, September 13, 1848. After the rod blew through his skull, you think, well, you know, most people would be killed from having that happen. But strangely enough, minutes later, he was able to walk. He was still, you know, he could speak, he could have, you know, he, he literally... All of his intellect was intact, even after this accident, even after losing a portion of his frontal lobe. You can see here, giving you a little better picture of what happened, went through the bottom cheek, up through the skull. and But what happened? Something changed in Phineas after having this frontal lobotomy. After the accident, he would become very angry or very emotional and angry about things. Well, you might think, well, maybe you would get angry too if a rod blew through your skull, Right? <laughs> But I think it's more than that, something more than just a response to the rod going through him. He lost interest in church and spirituality. He became irreverent and prone to excessive profanity. And he lost all respect for social custom. Notice he's basically a different person after the accident. Not his intellect. His intellect is still intact, but his character has been changed by a frontal lobotomy, right? Right? Very, very interesting. This is actually the rod. See in his hand? That is the actual rod. I mean, you can see how big it is. That's the rod that blew through his cheek and skull. And after the accident, he became very irresponsible, went from a prized employee to the unemployment rolls. He ended up forsaking his wife and family, and he joined a traveling circus. He was totally transformed by the loss of his frontal lobe. Neuroscientist David Bard of Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, speaking of the frontal lobe, It says, the brain's frontal lobes, which sit behind the forehead, allow us to use what we know about the world to guide our decision-making. Says neuroscientist, yeah, Uh, David Bard, basically. And science is teaching us. Scientific studies show that the frontal lobe is the seat of the spirituality, morality, and the will. So this is what we are discovering, that right here, it's been called the citadel of the brain. This is the decision-making center. Right behind the forehead is the frontal lobe. Now, in overcoming, it is essential to have a few different things. Number one, to overcome, you need a desire to overcome. Sometimes when we're going to put on our seminar, people call us up and they say, Hey, can you, can you call up my son and get him to come here and come to your seminar? And, you know, if someone's son, their daughter, their husband, their wife... If, if they don't have a desire to overcome, you can pray for them, but there's nothing anybody can do to get someone to overcome if they don't want to overcome. An alcoholic who's happy being an alcoholic is going to be an alcoholic until he's not happy being an alcoholic anymore, right? You've got to get to the point where you have a desire. So in any aspect of life, you don't have to be an alcoholic, but in any habit or any lifestyle change that needs to be made in your life, first of all, you have to have a desire to overcome. And number two, you need to have an open mind. Now you, don't, you know the old saying, you don't want an open mind so much that you know your brain falls out. But you do want an open mind that says, listen, obviously what I've been doing hasn't been working. There must be something more, and I want to learn about that. Um, yeah, I won't, I won't go any further. My wife is going to come up quickly. She's going to give a little disclaimer um, before we go any further.
1: Oh, am
0: I not on, sorry. Can you hear me now? No? It is on. Let's see here. Is
1: it muted?
0: can you hear me now? Keep tapping on it for just a minute. There
1: we go. All right, there we go. Am I on? All right, thank you. Sorry about that. All right, Um. Like I said, we're not your doctors, and you'll understand why we're saying that in just a few minutes, the way this program runs. Um, So we ask that if you are under the care of a doctor that you continue to be so, but learn from these things and talk to your doctor about it and see what you can implement. But we're not asking that you go and change everything and not talk to your doctor or whatever it is you're doing. You know, we don't want to be extreme. We want to be mindful of what we're learning and, and implementing it as, You know, little at a time. Okay, with that said, we're going to continue with the thoughts that we've been having here. What was Chad just talking about? The frontal lobe, right? And how important it is and uh, what happens to your character afterwards. Well, look at what the Bible says. This is so interesting. Revelation 14, verse 1 says, And I looked, and, lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written where? In their foreheads. Isn't that interesting? And what's behind your forehead? The frontal lobe. And what did we just learn the frontal lobe does? It's where your spirituality, morality, your will, that's your character. And what does God want to put in the frontal lobe? The Father's name. And what does that mean to us, the Father's name? His character. How do we know that? We just look through the Bible, right, and you start realizing whenever you see name, and a name changed, and the characters changed too, right? What's an example? Abraham. What was his name before? Abraham. Abram. Uh, Saul became Paul. But listen to this one. This is a really good one. Jacob. Do you know what Jacob means? Deceiver, Deceiver right? And if you actually look at the name Jacob, it's, it's Jacob, or, you know, I speak Aramaic. And in Aramaic, it's the same word for heel, Iqba, you know, Yaqub, and and it means heel grabber. He trips you up. He deceives you, right? He's a heel grabber. And so um, that was his character. That's who Jacob was. But then what happened to him? He struggled and he overcame, right? And what was his name changed to? Israel. Israel. Do you know what Israel means? Overcomer. Overcomer. Isn't that powerful? So God wants to put that character in our foreheads change change that that mind right he wants to put that in our frontal lobes and what character is that the father's name you know it's his law it's christ that that person that you know the same person that walked and talked on this earth and the way he relayed to people related to people and and spoke with them he wants to put that same character in our minds as well isn't that powerful isn't that good news it's so awesome. Like the Bible is, is not just uh, spiritually fulfilling, but you could see how it, it, it manifests itself in so many other ways, scientifically, um, in the everyday life. So with that said, we need to know what are some of these frontal lobe killers, right? What kinds of things uh, causes frontal lobe to, to be compromised? Uh, we can see drugs are one, and I'm sure you can think of a few yourself. But um, did you realize that lack of use is actually detrimental? If you do not exercise your brain in terms of making decisions, you don't grow, right? A lot of times we're afraid to make decisions and so we don't make one at all. And it actually um, hinders the growth that you can have in in your mind. You know, it's better, I think, to make a mistake and learn from it than to make no decision at all, right? Uh, Certain kinds of music. We talk about this later on in the seminar. Not today, but we do. And uh, head injuries. You know, today, we're the adrenaline junkies, right? A lot of times in in today's society, and people do things that will compromise the physical aspect of your frontal lobe, right? Uh, We do things. We don't wear helmets. We aren't careful. Um, We meet a lot of people as we do this that come up to and says, you know, I've had a head injury. I've had a frontal lobe compromised, and uh, it's discouraging. But you know what? God can um, help us improve even the little bit that we have and sustain it. You know. Um, also, lack of nutrition. I know in America we are um, we have an abundance. You know, we're not lacking things, but we are actually deficient in many ways, and especially when it comes to the mental health and nutrition. And we talk about that as well, and you'll hear a little bit of it today, but mostly later on in the seminar we talk about nutrition and the brain and how we are lacking and how it actually causes us to be addicted to certain things because of the way we're eating. And awesome studies, but don't have time to share that with you today. All right, a little study here in Mark chapter 9, verse 20 through 23. And just to give you a little background, this is when Jesus and three of the disciples were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they were up there, during the time they were up there, down in the valley, the other disciples um, were in trouble. They had a man who was demon-possessed, and they couldn't heal him, couldn't figure out why, and then Jesus comes along. And here, the story starts. And they brought him unto him. They brought this, this man unto Jesus. And when He saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. So this young man was wallowing and foaming at the mouth when he fell before Jesus. And he asked his father, Jesus asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? So how long has this kid been like this? And the the man said, of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us, Jesus said to him. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So we realize this situation is pretty serious. This child had uncontrollable habits, and he also had a, destruct, a destructive lifestyle. But he had family and a community that cared about him. Okay? So he realizes uncontrollable habits, You that's know, what we're talking about somewhat here, and a destructive lifestyle. Okay, some of us could relate to this. But he had a community that cared about him and wanted help for him, right? So let's continue with the story. What happened? So he, the, Jesus heals him. And then later on, uh, the disciples come to Jesus, it says, and when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast this, the, the evil spirit out like you did? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by what? Prayer and fasting. Okay? So when we have something that has been from our childhood, you know, plaguing us, whatever it may be, you know, something you just can't let go of, forgiving someone, or um, some kind of thought that occurs constantly, some kind of habit that's just destructive, and you're struggling and you don't know what to do, Jesus Himself said these things can come can can be taken away only by what prayer and fasting. And you also see that the the father if you read in there it says that he came and he fell before Jesus and he cried out. It wasn't like just like, yeah, so do you think you can help my kid here? You know, it was like he was really pleading. And how many times are we really pleading with God and we get serious like I want this out of my life, you know. So With that said, in this week that we normally do the program, we have um, a type of cleanse. So I'll explain to you in a little bit what that is, because it just said that it's a good thing to do, have prayer and fasting. So what goes on in the liver? Detox? Yeah? Okay. Do you realize that your liver stores glucose? in the foreign, and then it's called glycogen, all right? And that helps us when uh, when we need to do something. You know, you heard of the fight or flight? You know, when you need to do something quick, the liver will kick in, and that's when the stress hormones come in, the liver will kick in that extra glucose for your muscles to get going and do something um, that you need to do quickly, okay? Uh, that's why a lot of times you're in that, if, if you're in, uh, stressed out a lot, your uh, your liver's overworking and pushing in that glucose all the time, and then your insulin kicks in, and sometimes you could be skinny and still have diabetes, and um, that might be why. You might just be stressed out all the time and your insulin's going and your glucose. Anyway, that's a side thing. But what I want you to understand is, so the liver gives us that extra glucose, right? Well, when you're fasting, guess what happens when you don't have that food coming in all the time? What are you relying on then for that energy? that liver is going to start giving you that glucose, right? It's going to start releasing that glucose so you can be sustained. What else is going to come out with it then? The toxins. toxins. You got it. So the toxins will be released with that glucose because you're not getting the input, right? So the toxins will be released as you're fasting. So God gave us an excellent way to cleanse our bodies. Whenever we're fasting, that's what's happening. Your, your liver is automatically detoxing when the input of food is not in, in there. Isn't that powerful? Just a neat way of just cleansing the body. So um, with that said, so this is how it goes the whole week. I tell you what to add each day um, and you know to the diet. But the first day, if you are a heavy alcoholic or a drug addict or a diabetic, uh, normally we have you do this for the first day. Um, it's water, fruit, veggies, and whole grain bread. For the first day. Then, um, everybody else, what we have you do is you do water, 100%, 100% fruit juice, and fruit. That means like 100% fruit juice, not you know 10% juice and sugar and stuff, because you don't wanna be spiking your blood sugar and then plummeting, you know. So, um, is that clear? So the first day, this is what you would do. We're not doing like a complete fast. But you'll understand if, if you would go through the whole program why we do it in this fashion. It's really, really neat. People learn so much about themselves, their bodies, and what they're capable of as they go through this week because at first it's like, oh, no, I have to do this, you know. But as people come back each day, they're like, hey, I'm kind of surprised. I'm doing better than I thought I would be doing on this. And it's really encouraging to hear the feedback from people as they're doing this. So that's, that's what we do the first day. And then, like I said, each day, I add and I tell you what good things you're getting from each one of those things. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 and 20 says, "What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which, you ha- which ye have of God, and you are not your own. If you are bought for, you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So this, these are not our bodies, right? They don't belong to us, they belong to God. And we're to glorify him through, through what we do with these bodies, right? People will see and say, wow, you really care um, about your physical being. And wow, something's changed about you. Tell me why. You know, we can glorify God through these things. So um, in this week, you're all, we're also going to give you uh, tips on what to do when those cravings come like what kinds of things that, that you can do when the cravings come. Um, but here's one thing that we're going to talk about. Do you guys know what this, this drink is, this super drink? What, what it does? It can increase energy and endurance, prevent kidney stones, aid digestion and elimination, regulate the body's temperature, and bring about a feeling of well-being. Yet very few of us consume as much as we should. Yes, you are right, it is water. Um, Have you heard about this guy? He, uh, The Body's Many Cries for Water, it's a book written by this man. I don't know how to say his last name, so for that reason we will call him Dr. B, okay? Um, I'll just read this off for you. When the Iranian Revolution broke out in 1979, Dr. B was placed in the infamous even prison as a political prisoner for two years and seven months. It was there he discovered the healing powers of water. One night, Dr. B had to treat a fellow prisoner with crippling peptic ulcer pain. With no medications at his disposal, Dr. B gave him two glasses of water. Within eight minutes, his pain disappeared. He was instructed to drink two glasses of water every three hours and became absolutely pain-free for his four remaining months in prison. Dr. B successfully treated 3,000 fellow prisoners suffering from stress-induced peptic ulcer disease with water alone. While in prison, he conducted extensive research into the medical effects of water in preventing and relieving many painful degenerative diseases. Yvonne proved an ideal stress laboratory and, Despite his being offered an earlier release, Dr. B chose to stay an extra four months in prison to complete his research into the relationship of dehydration and bleeding peptic ulcer disease. The report of his findings was published as the editorial of the Journal of Clinical Gastroenterology in June 83. The New York Times Science Watch reported this discovery on June 21, 1983. Okay, here we go. On this release, on his release from prison in 82, Dr. Uh, B escaped from Iran and came to America. At the Foundation for the Simple Medicine, he began to research the effect of chronic unintentional dehydration on the human body. His findings were published in the Foundation's Journal of Science and Medicine Simplified in 92 and 90, I mean 91 and 92, and they can be read on the uh, website watercure.com. Dr. B wrote his first book, Your Body's Many Cries for Water, in 1992, in which he stated that a dry mouth is not a reliable indicator of dehydration. A what? A dry mouth. The body signals, wa- the body signals its water shortage by producing pain. Dehydration actually produces pain and many degenerative diseases, including asthma, arthritis, hypertension, angina, Adult-onset diabetes, lupus, and multiple sclerosis. So interesting. These are all things that he studied out. Um, I found that to be very interesting. But this is what he, oh, I'll say this, and then I'll tell you what he recommends on how much water to drink. So what are the benefits of drinking water? It lowers your blood pressure, elevates your mood, helps detoxify the liver, So with the whole fasting program, what do you want to do all the time when we're fasting then? Drinking the water, right? Because as you're detoxing, you want to eliminate that and start clearing the body of the the, uh, toxins. It helps you maintain or lose weight, maintains body temperature. so neat. We worked in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the church we were working with had a family of roofers. And I kept wondering, like, how do these guys make it in the middle of the day standing on top of these roofs? And so I'd ask the guy, I said, what do you guys do to, to, you know, that you're not fainting up there? And he said, I tell my guys, you get up in the morning and you start drinking your water. And he says, I hydrate them. I tell them constantly, drink, drink, drink. And he says, it's your internal air conditioner. Mm-hmm. So isn't that awesome? God has given us a way to, to, to keep cool. Um, in spite of what's going on outside. okay, it also uh, gives you clear thoughts. Your brain is made up of about 85% water. So where's one of the first places you're gonna feel um, a lack of water is in your thoughts, right? one of the first places you're gonna feel the anxiety, you're gonna feel slow, um, not have the clear thoughts. you're gonna, you know It's going to affect you, and one of the first places is in your mind, because you're 85% of, of your brain is water. So the question, how much water? Half your body weight in ounces is what Dr. B recommends from his book. So half your body weight in ounces. So if you weigh 200 pounds, how many ounces would you drink? 100, okay. Now, how many of you are going to start doing that today? I hope not. (laughs) All right, this is why. Everything should be done in moderation, right? You should start off doing it, right, and work your way up to that. If you try doing that just right now, today, like just totally increase, and it it would be overwhelming for one, and two, you wouldn't enjoy it. You wouldn't see the benefits of it. You'd be running to the bathroom all the time and say, forget this, right? So it's always good whenever you start something, do it gradual. So let's just start increasing. Be mindful, okay? I need to start drinking more water, and then work your way up to that half your body weight ounces. And if you're more active, then you need to drink more than that, right? Also, he recommends that you put one fourth teaspoon, and it doesn't have to be sea salt, um, but he recommends that you put one fourth teaspoon of salt to every quart of water. Okay, so what's that? It's for the electrolytes. To make sure you get enough electrolytes, if you're if you're starting to take in that much water, um, it's going to dilute your electrolytes, and so that's not good. And you see a lot of sports players. What do they drink on the sidelines? It's not just water, but they drink Gatorade. So it's the same concept. And you don't taste it in 32 ounces. You won't you won't really taste that much salt. It's very little, but it's there to help take up the water too. All right, some things that we um, struggle with, or I should say it like this. Um, in any war, there's battles, right? And in every battle, you need to know what the enemy's doing. No no army will go out and fight and not know what, what their opponents are up to, right? You're going to realize it and strategize and, and think about, you know, what are those traps? What are those traps out there and how can I avoid them or how can I... Um, um, get around it. So what are some traps? There are some others that we mentioned, but here are a few for today. It could be a stressful place or a situation. Okay, how many of us could relate to that, right? There's stressful places. Um, For example, just going to uh, the DMV. You know, I don't know if that's what you call it down here or other places. You know, going to some place like that where Um, People don't treat you the best and you got to wait in long lines or just at work, okay? Anybody could be stressed out at work, and it could be a particular person. You may be living with the person that stresses you out, you know? Or or causes you to be angry or whatever it is. Um, Or it could be a repetitive memory. Uh, So many of us get plagued with that. My older brother was uh, killed by a drunk driver, and I wasn't there. I didn't see it, but I had my own picture of how it happened, and I'd play it over and over and over in my head. I would see the whole scene, I'd, I'd imagine how it happened, and I just drove myself crazy thinking about it all the time. And uh, through the, the program, we talk about how um, to overcome those repetitive memories, you know. But with these traps, and then there's also, you know, if you're craving a cigarette or if you're craving some candy, or if you're craving something that is not good for you. What do you do at that time? You know, what can you do with these traps? What can you do um, to overcome it? There's a lot more, but here's some basic ones for right now. One, drink your water, okay? That bottle becomes your new best friend, okay? Have your bottle around with you all the time. And it actually also helps with the hand-to-mouth. Did you guys notice that? A lot of our addictions have to do with this neuromuscular behavior of hand-to-mouth, you know? whether we bite our nails or um, we, we mm. smoke or eat or, or whatever it is, a lot of times it has to do with that. So it kind of replaces, you know, now you're drinking something good. You're replacing the bad habit with a good one. So start drinking the water. And also the water is cleansing to us. You're detoxing, and so you want to let those things out. So it's a good habit in place of a bad one. Also walking. Um... How many of us come from a farming background? Just a few. I know one that still does farm (laughs) sitting in here. (laughs) Not just a background, but for sure farms. Anyway, not many of us. How many of us sit in front of a computer? A lot more, right? Yeah. We have changed as a society, haven't we? Uh, But a lot of our eating habits haven't changed with it right? With our activities, our activities have changed, but not our eating habits and other things. So we become very sedentary in our lifestyles. Well, guess what? What did God have Adam do right in the beginning? He'd take care of a garden, right? He put him to work right away. So we were made to move. We were made to do this, right? And it stimulates us. What happens when you, when you exercise? You're, you actually get stimulated. Your blood gets stimulated, and then you have these endorphins released, and it's, it's good, right? And we, we get addicted to that. But if you don't have that, what do you start to do? You start to crave that stimulation. But if you're not getting it from your muscles, where do you start getting it from? Either it's the drugs you take, the food you eat, the different things that you do. We're looking for an artificial stimulation, and so that's why we start, you know, drinking the caffeine. That's why we start doing these things and eating the foods, like junk food that's stimulating, or the spicy foods. Whatever it is, these things are stimulating, but it's so dangerous to stimulate the blood without using the muscles, you know? You need to have the muscles do the stimulation so that the blood is pumping um, through that instead of the artificial stimulation. So it's so important in this program that we realize that exercise is good for us, that we get out and walk. So when the craving comes, what do you do? Get up, go for a walk, remove yourself from the situation, start walk, go, you know, a little bit of a walk and then get into more of a habit and then get an exercise program going. Deep breathing, okay? We talked about being around a person or a stressful situation, right? And how do we deal with those sometimes? Chad's going to come up and show us how to do the deep breathing and how it could help us in these stressful situations.
0: All right. Now just to uh, clarify, because I know someone might be getting terrified thinking, oh no, this is a new age seminar. It is not a new age seminar. We, what we're doing is, and you can actually read about this in the book Mind, Character, and Personality. Not the whole, not everything we're talking about, but uh, she specifically talks about even there. Sometimes people are depressed and they don't know why. You know, sometimes it's, I'm not talking about uh, like clinical depression. I'm talking about sometimes you just wake up and you're just not. You know, you're going around and it just you don't even know why, but you feel kind of down. Uh, she talks about sometimes we're not breathing accurately, and so we're getting a, a you know not a uh, not enough oxygen to the organs of the body, so you start feeling down. And so I'm going to show you, uh, stand up real real quickly with me if you can. If you can't, that's okay. But if you can, stand up just for a moment. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath. I know you probably can't see me very well, but take a deep breath on the count of three, okay? One, two, three. (sighs) Okay, you can let it out. Uh, now, one of the things that normally happens when you ask people to take a deep breath, what ends up happening is we end up doing something like this. We go and we take a deep breath, you know. But what happens is we're actually taking a shallow breath because we're breathing up into our kind of our chest cavity and not into what's called the diaphragm, diaphragm. right? So we want to learn to breathe into our diaphragm and not just into the upper chest. Does that make sense? Now, the only trouble is many of us, maybe you, I know in the past I was this way, we, we don't want to have a gut, so we've learned to suck in the gut and breathe very sh- in a very shallow manner, and so we're not getting an adequate amount of oxygen to the, to the brain and to the muscles of the body. So we need to learn to get back to the breathing that we were the way we were designed in the very beginning. And so uh, you can have a seat. I'm gonna show you now, I'll take that seat. Little lady, thank you. Um, Actually, I guess they're stuck together. I can't show you very well. Um, the way, Oh, it's not. Okay, she got it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Now, you, you don't even really need to see me, but what you do is, and you may be able to do it. I don't know if your chairs are too close. You'll hit your head on the chair in front of you. If you do, don't lean forward. But if you, if you can, you can try. You don't have to. But if you're, if you're comfortable doing it, if you don't breathe from your diaphragm, a lot of times we breathe into the chest, and we need to breathe into our diaphragm. The way to be able to feel your diaphragm is if you just put your arms between your legs and kind of bend over and just take a deep breath. And you feel it pushing into what we would call, you know, normally the stomach, but it's the diaphragm. Do you feel that? Anybody feel that when you go down breathing into the... You feel kind of pressure down in what we call the diaphragm. It kind of forces you to do that. Now, what you want to do is you want to learn to breathe into your diaphragm. Now, there are times that your chest will expand if you take a really deep breath. You fill up the diaphragm, you fill up the, you know, the chest cavity, you know, I mean, obviously it's the lungs, but nevertheless, you're, you're breathing like this and you're getting adequate, o- adequate oxygen to the body. Now, um, we're going to practice breathing correctly. Stand up again with me for a moment. I know at least, you know, this will help you not fall asleep also. But now think about this. Do... We're going to do this. Um, We're going to take a deep breath, and you're going to try to do it slowly. And do it like you're going to make a noise, and everybody around you will be doing it so you won't look funny, because everybody looks funny. But what you're going to do is you're going to breathe like you're sucking through a straw slowly. So let's give it a try. One, two, three. Okay, you can let it out. All right, now what we're going to do is, after we do the deep breath, we're going to, actually, first, we won't do the long, deep breath, but we're going to breathe out, and the way we're going to breathe out is we're going to shut our teeth, and we're going to stick our tongue kind of in the, like, right behind the teeth or right above the teeth, and we're going to make kind of a th- noise, okay, and I'll tell you why we do it in just a second, so on the count of three, suck in and do that, one, two, three. Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to do the in and the out. We're just going to do a few... Actually, before we do it, just so you're not thinking the new age thing, the reason we're doing this uh, is not... Yeah, the, the noise has nothing to do with any, anything, really. All we're doing is we're making ourselves breathe in slower. Because when, when you're tempted, when you're angry, when you're uh, stressed, what you don't normally notice is that you start breathing in a shallow fashion, generally kind of rapidly, shallow breaths. And it kind of complicates the matter because you get even more stress because your body's not getting that adequate oxygen to the brain and and to the organs. So what you can do is you can force your heart rate back down. And as you're forcing the heart rate back down, you're increasing the blood flow to the system and it's causing you to be calm. It's helping you to be calm. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this a few times back and forth just so you can see kind of the results of it. So let's give it a try. So uh, let's do do the in-breath and the out. we'll just do it back and forth a few times. So in-breath. Out, in-breath, out-breath, in-breath, Out breath. Two more times. In breath. Out breath. In breath. Out breath all right we're done does anybody feel any calmer anybody yeah sometimes you can actually feel yourself becoming you can sit down now you don't have to keep doing that,
1: uh, bring that now thing over here.
0: the importance uh basically your body many of us have been breathing shallow most of the time we've kind of trained if you look at a baby how what is moving on the baby while they're breathing what's moving their little tummy, right? Their tummy is going up and down, which is, we, you know, the more factual term is the diaphragm. But it's their little tummy going up and down, right? Babies naturally breathe correctly. A normal baby is going to breathe correctly. We have kind of learned to breathe incorrectly. So we just, what we're doing is, it's not like we're coming up with some new fantastic thing. We're just getting back to the way we should be doing it in the first place, right? And so we need to learn to deep breathe so that we will have this. Uh, we've even had people come, a uh, lady came back and she said, oh, I, I was having, I was going out to a lady in her upper seventies. She said, oh, I was going out to my mailbox and I started feeling pain in my back. And she said, I thought I'd just try the deep breathing. She said, I started doing that. And she said, the pain went away. Yeah. Sometimes what's happening is we're not getting adequate oxygen to our body and it starts causing us stress. So we want to choose to lower the heart rate by the deep breathing and getting that adequate supply of oxygen. So when we're trying to, when the temptation comes or when the stressful situation comes, uh, you know, you try the deep breathing. For instance, uh, you know, you may be at work, and somebody, you know, your boss comes, and you may know your boss is mean and nasty and angry. And so if he comes up to you, you start seeing this happening, well, what can you do? When he gets close, you can just start going, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right? Now, you probably don't want to do that. Now, the, the breathing, the sounds you're making are not, you don't have to do that. You're just teaching yourself to breathe slowly, right? The slow in breath, slow exhale will help you to calm down. So you don't have to make the noise. You can do the noise on your own just to keep you a reminder. I need to slow, in ex- or slow exhale, slow inhale, right? And also, when the temptation comes, we also, and more important than these than these other three things, are Bible promises, when the temptation comes, when the difficulty comes, when the stress comes in, we need to be claiming Bible promises. So we're claiming the promises, uh, you know, and we'll talk about some of those in just a moment. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't even have to. This is just a question you need to think about. Does anyone have anything to give up now? Now, in our seminars, we actually do. Some folks may have their cigarettes in their pocket, and we allow them. If they want to come give those to us, we get rid of them. It might be too hard for them. They'll th- you know, People say, yeah, I went and threw it in the garbage can, but then I... Went and dug through the garbage a few minutes later and found it again. So sometimes it's easier to give it away uh, so somebody else can get rid of it than for you to do it yourself. But if you have something specific that you know, i got to get rid of this now, you can come to us afterward. We've even had someone come with their, you know, meth pipe or whatever. And obviously we don't drive around with that too long. We're going to get in trouble ourselves. So we try to <laughs> smash it or do what we can to get rid of it. But the point is, you know, uh, get rid of it. If you've got something that you're really struggling with, get rid of it. All right? Don't, don't keep it around because that ends up making you go back to it. Now, in this seminar, we always tell everyone that you are never, ever during the seminar to use the the F word, failure, right? Never use the word failure, right, or I failed, because one of the things is, is that... When you stumble, when you fall, can you imagine this? Imagine this. Sometimes we, we think of God as being kind of, you know, this, this tyrant. And well, some other people think of him as like a teddy bear in the sky. And really, God is, you know, a, an amazing, loving, majestic, you know, eternal God. But one of the things is that we sometimes look at life and God in a weird way. Like, for instance, uh, you know, if, imagine, imagine someone has a baby and their baby is just learning to walk. So they take their first step and then they take another step and then, boom, they hit the floor. Now, does any dad ever say something like, stay down until you get it right? Would any dad ever do that? No. no. They'd say, "Ah, oh, they took two steps. That was incredible. Did you see that? Oh, mom, she took two steps, right? This is the way a dad acts, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't just act. It's a part of who he is. In the same way with God, God isn't looking at us as when we stumble saying, hey, stay down until you get it right, right? God doesn't treat us that way. God is always there to pick us back up. And so we're not here to judge each other, to get down on each other. And as a church, we all stumble at times. And so instead of getting down on each other and speaking behind each other's back, we can pray for each other, we can encourage each other, because when we judge others, the Bible says, who are we to do that because we end up doing the same things, right? So let's not judge each other. Let's encourage each other, spur each other on to good works. It's been said that Thomas Edison said... You know the guy who made the light bulb? I know 999 ways not to make a light bulb. (laughs) (laughs) Now, listen, even if he, you could say, oh, he failed 900. I mean, I'm sure he's just making that number up. But So he failed 999 times. Well, they aren't failures because each time he was learning something new, right? And if each time we stumble and fall, we learn from those situations, guess what? We actually can be those things. We're actually told in spirit of prophecy. I don't have the exact quote, but it says something along these lines that um, basically if we stumble, we don't need to become despondent. But if we take those mistakes and regard them as beacons of warning. Now that's the only part that's the actual quote. Beacons of warning. Look up that word beacons. And if if we take them as beacons of warning, these things can actually be instances that will actually help us grow. So the mistakes, not that the mistake is good, but it can be used for the good of God. Does this make sense? So God can make us overcomers. And so when we make the mistakes, instead of, oh, just, I mean, yes, we need to repent, and sometimes we, even feel, we should feel bad about it, but we want to say, okay, what can I learn from this mistake? We don't have too, too much time to get too deep into detail on that. But in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, the Bible says, For a just man falls seven times and rises up again but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The difference between the righteous and the wicked is not that the righteous never fall, but the difference is that the righteous get back up again, and the wicked just choose to stay down, right? The difference between the righteous and the wicked, the righteous, we all stumble. Every person stumbles here and there in their lives, but what are we supposed to do? It says a just man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. Now, it's not as if you get seven chances, right? And then, well, now you've, you know, passed the bar and you're, you're just too far gone. No, no, no. This seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. But what do they always do after they stumble? They get back up again. So every time you stumble, get back up just like the child. Don't think of God as the God who says, stay down until you get it right. Think of him as the God who is encouraged that, listen, you got up again, right? You're going to try again. And you're going to go forward again in his strength he wants to make you an overcomer by himself giving you the strength that he will change your mind, Then he will change your actions, he will change your habits, and then ultimately your character, which will also determine your destiny, right? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through what? Christ. Christ which strengthens me, which is also kind of our promise verse we go through every day, but, but one of the things we encourage all people to do, and many of you probably have them, is have bible promise books right because in that bible promise book most any is there, is there an abc here at, G, at, at no there is a, okay the abc's here they probably have bible promise books if you don't have one well bible bible promise books i, I hopefully there's someone who has no clue what that is but basically it's a book and in that book uh, it'll have like you look in the beginning generally and it will give you know the letters of the alphabet for different issues in life like, you, the first one is many times something like anger, letter A, anger. So you want to learn, how do I, how do I get through the issue? When, when the anger comes on, what do I do? And, well, you got your Bible Promise book. You look, first page goes, tells you to go right to anger. So you go to anger, and Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, what? Uh, I don't remember. Yes, yeah, soft the, the answer turns, turns away, away wrath. wrath. But <laughs> grievous words, what?
1: Stir, up, Stir anger.
0: up anger. So once again, what do you do? So when the, when the anger comes on you, someone's, you know, someone's being mean to you, you, you start thinking, okay, well, I need to deep breathe rather than you know, burst out at this person. And God, you told me a soft answer will turn away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. If I, if I just respond the way they're speaking to me, guess what's going to happen? It's just going to stir up more anger. Anger in them and more anger in me. But God, you said a soft answer turns away wrath. Lord, help me to give a soft answer in this situation, Right? And if we learn to do that by God's grace, he's the one changing us. It's not just some psychological gymnastics, but God is giving you the strength through trusting in his promise Said, God, you said it. I feel like yelling at this guy, but, Lord, I pray that you do something about it. I pray that you change me so that I can be a you know, benefit in this situation. So take the Bible promise book. Maybe for you it's a lust. You go to L in your Bible promise book, and you can look in there, and maybe it'll have a verse like Psalms 101 verse 3. That says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me, Psalm 101, verse 3. So I will set no wicked thing before my eyes, eyes," right? So you got to be careful when you're on the computer, right? You got to be careful the things you look at. You got to be careful with the things you watch on television because we are to set no wicked thing before our eyes because what does that cause us to do? It might cause us, if that's your struggle, to lust or to whatever it is. You you know your struggle, and so find promises, and initially you may forget them because you don't have it really memorized well, so you can just put it on a card and stick it in your pocket, and when the situation comes, you can pull the card out and read it and say, God, you promise this. You promise to God, and I trust that you will make this come to pass in my life. I'm allowing you to do whatever you need to do in my life to make this happen. So get a Bible promise book if you don't already have one. Now, there are two ways of looking at overcoming. One way to look at overcoming is to look at it as, no way. No way God could ever uh, help, help me to overcome. I, this is in my family. It's in my history. There's nothing. There's no way that I could ever overcome this. It's in my genes even. So I, I can't be changed, right? That's one way of looking at it. Or the other way of looking at it is saying, man, I've been struggling with my whole, for my whole life. But if God says that he can make an, me an overcomer, he must have something pretty incredible in store. Amen. Right? So you have a choice whether to hold on to heredity or cultivated tendencies and say, no, they, they are too strong, not even the God of the universe has the power to overcome these things in my life. Or you could say God must have something incredible in store. And I'm going to trust his word, even though I don't feel like I could be an overcomer. That he, through his power can make me an overcomer and I believe that not because I feel it but because he said it and we end up trusting his word and not in our own strength right because we don't have the strength to be overcomers but he does and we're we're, the Bible talks about us being uniting with his divine nature right he wants to unite us with his divinity not that we become divine but he wants to give us the strength through him to make us overcomers Amen? amen that's good news you know some of the time though one person can give up some temptation or a group of temptations while out of struggle. You've heard the testimonies in church. Someone comes along and they say, Man, I was, a, I was a crack addict. I was sleeping with prostitutes. I was doing drugs. I was smoking. And I said, God, help me to stop doing this. And boom, it all went away. Never had another desire. <laughs> You've heard these testimonies, right? And praise the Lord for those testimonies, right? But sometimes then we think, Man, I have these struggles. And I fall time and time again, and I pray, and God doesn't just yank him away. Why does he yank it away from him and not from me, right? Now, even that guy that was sleeping with the hookers, and it was doing the crack and doing all that stuff, he prayed and all went away. He has other issues in his life that don't all just go away with a single prayer. Did you know that? He's going to have other areas of his life that are going to be sometimes a lifelong struggle, But God can even help him overcome in those areas. And you and I who may be thinking, man, why doesn't he just rip it away from me? Listen, God is going to help you draw closer to him through the overcoming process. If you continue to get up, if you are as the righteous and you fall seven times, but you choose to keep getting back up again. Not that you have to stumble. We're not saying that. But if you do, if you keep clinging and each time you are learning how, you know, to avoid it in that situation next time, in each point, God will be there with you and you can look at each of those circumstances as a beacon of warning, a beacon of warning to help you overcome the next time. So, you know, one person gives up without a struggle, but that person does not give it up without a struggle in every area of their lives. We all have difficult things that are kind of ingrained and God wants to even separate us from those things also, you know. Just a quick testimony personally. I uh, I struggled with smoking and drinking, um, did a little bit of drugs, but I was more of a drinker. I was more of a heavy drinker, and I wasn't happy with it. I, I, I would drink myself to sleep at night, not not even in social. It wasn't a social thing. It was just something that I'd sit and I'd drink myself to sleep uh, watching Discovery Channel all night. I'd sit there until 3 in the morning, and wouldn't remember going to bed. My mom would have to shake me awake in the morning. I was in school. And, you know, I just kind of lived that way for a while, totally unhappy, I wasn't happy with it. And, you know, you have fun with sin. No question. Nobody would sin if it wasn't fun or there wasn't some benefit. Nobody would do it. I mean, we'd just all quit, right? But there is a enjoyment in sin. And so I would go to the party, I would do these different things, and I had fun. But when I would wake up in the morning. And I was all alone in the silence of my own room. No music, no people around, just me alone with my thoughts. I was always empty. I was always empty. Always. And, and so what I would do is, as soon as possible, I'd turn on the radio, or I'd go drink a few cans of Surge, or drink some coffee, or I would smoke a cigarette, you know, as soon as I could after waking up in the morning, All of these things to kind of cover up the emptiness that I really had going on inside my heart. I was trying to cover up, you know, and then ultimately I would, you know, drink it away and kind of no pain while you're drinking. But then once again, once it all washes away and you wake up, you're alone with your thoughts and there's nothing between... Basically, the only thing there was the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart and I knew I wasn't happy. And so... um, I remember I would take my pack of cigarettes because I I knew, I mean, you know, you know after a while this is no fun. At first it's kind of fun, because sin's always fun in the beginning, but once you become truly addicted, it's really not even fun anymore. But you just can't stop. You're addicted. So I would take the pack of cigarettes, I'd crush them, and I'd be driving down the road and I'd throw them out the car window, which you shouldn't do because it's littering, but I would that's what I would do, you know? And then two, three hours or you know, that same night, I'd be back buying another pack at the liquor store, you know. So I'd go back and do it again. And this happened time and time again. And then, you know, I was, I was in high school and then into college. And, and while I was doing this to make a living, I was moving furniture and laying carpet. I was doing both. Um, well, you know, off, I went from the moving furniture to laying carpet. And while I was doing that, you know, I'd be carrying something up the steps. And, <gasps> man, I'm just winded. I'm thinking, man, I'm way too young to be winded walking up a stairwell. I mean, this, just, this isn't good. And so I thought, man, I got to quit smoking. And the, the thing was, I was really good at quitting smoking. I could quit just like that. And I would go immediately to chewing tobacco. And, and then I would chew tobacco until my teeth started hurting. And then I knew I needed to quit chewing so I could quit every time. And I'd go right back to the cigarettes. And I went back and forth between cigarettes and chewing tobacco. And, you know, you may know they put, they put uh, fiberglass chips inside the chewing tobacco to cut your lip so that it gets into your bloodstream. Because I tried the kind without the... Without the Fiberglass, and it didn't do the trick, so I had to go back to the fiberglass kind. And so, basically, and you even get to the point where you begin to enjoy the pain, strangely enough. This is what the devil does to us when we're addicted. So I tried over and over and over, and sometimes I would even quit for a few days, maybe even, I don't know, a month or so, but then I would ultimately fall back into the sin. I would fall back into it. Unhappy with it, hated it, but you think maybe, maybe this is going to make me happy. And... So I tried over and over, and and I'll tell you this. And um, there's more in the seminar. You know, it's it's a a, five to six, seven part seminar. But I was out in Colorado, and I was uh, just kind of simple. I was uh, I drank a ton of caffeine, tons and tons and tons of it, and I was doing the chewing tobacco. And uh, but we were, I had a headache every day while I was on a camping trip, and and they told me it was altitude sickness. They said drink water, so I was drinking a ton of water. Headache, headache, headache never went away. At the end of the trip, someone finally said to me, hey, do you drink a lot of caffeine? I said, oh, I drink a ton. And they said, oh, here, here's a Folger single, basically a coffee, you know, like a tea bag with coffee in it. So I put that in the water there, some cold water, drank that, and boom, Within five minutes, my headache was gone. Headache was gone. So I realized for the first time in my life, I'm addicted to caffeine. I didn't know it. If you had said, are you addicted to caffeine? No, no, I can, you know, quit at any time. But I was physically addicted at this point, and I didn't realize. And one of the things for smokers is, statistically, those people who are going to overcome smoking you know three to six months after quitting, are going to be those people who also give up caffeine. because one drug works with another. We don't always think of caffeine as a drug, but it is. It's a stimul- We're stimulating our body. And so God wants us basically to point by point give up all the temptations. Now I mean, not, I mean not just all the temptations, but all the addictions we have, right? If we're taking stimulants, if we're taking these things, we're going to be much better off by letting go of these things so that we can change the other areas of our lives. In closing, I think we have to be done by 3.45, right? I'll make it very quick. Is that right? 4.45. 445. I'm sorry. My clock's an hour off. On my, so 4.45. So we have basically five minutes. Um, quick story. How many of you have ever been to Wall Drug? Wall Drug. All right, probably... Ten of you, eight of you. Now, uh, Wall Drug. You probably wonder, those who haven't been there, what on earth is Wall Drug, right? If you ever go to South Dakota, if you've been to South Dakota, you've probably been to Wall Drug, because when you drive through the state of South Dakota, there's very, very little of anything in South Dakota. You got the, you know, the faces, right? You got, you know, the, you know,
1: what do we call it again? Mount Rushmore,
0: Mount Rushmore. I should know. I lived right by it for a while. I couldn't think of it. Well, uh, so basically you got Mount Rushmore, and then you got, like, dirt and grass, and then a few mountains around Mount Rushmore. But otherwise, the the whole east side of the state is pretty much empty. Uh, There are a few people there, but not too many. And so you drive through South Dakota. You've probably been a uh, wall drug. The reason being is because when you are about to enter the state of South Dakota, you'll start seeing signs, and it will say something like, Woldrug, 432 miles. And the first time you see it, you're thinking, what is Woldrug? So then you drive a few miles further, and it will say, Woldrug, 427 miles, free ice water. And you're thinking, what is this? And you get a little further, and it says, Woldrug, 412 miles, as advertised on London buses. And you're thinking, man, what is this place? They advertise even in London, and it's in South South Dakota. So you go a little further, and it says, Woldrup, 379 miles, as advertised in Tanzania. And you're thinking, Tanzania, why? Why? I don't even understand. So you keep going, and it says, Woldrup, you know, 300 miles, uh, life-size dinosaurs. And you get a little further, and these signs are littered. There's nothing else in South Dakota except for these signs. Not really. There's, there's other things there. But there's very little other than these signs. And so as you're going, you're thinking for hours about wall drug. Wall drug, wall drug, what is it? I'm going to go, but what is it? And so you get closer and closer. And the closer you get, no joke, they literally are like one after the other. Like boom, boom, wall drug, wall drug, wall drug, wall drug, you wall know? drug. And they're just one sign after the other. And for like five hours straight, you've been thinking about wall drug. And so you do... What everybody does when they drive through South Dakota the first time, they stop in Wall drug to figure out what it is. What it is, is there's a town in South Dakota Dakota called Wall, and they have a drugstore. And they got you to go because they had all these billboards. And so what happens is you get there, and they also have like a cafe with like buffalo burgers and like trinkets and junk and a bunch of stuff you don't eat. So you go, you see it, and you feel totally... Let down, right? Like, that's what I was thinking about for the last five hours. And so you're not happy with it. But I'm going to be, you know, and I've had this over and over. So I've had to drive through South Dakota over and over. So when I'm going through South Dakota again, what happens is I'm about to enter the state, and I see it, and I finally see that first billboard, and I think, here we go again, right? And then I start seeing the billboards and seeing the billboards, and literally for like five hours, I'm seeing the billboards again, and I, and I decide I'm not going to go. There's no reason on this planet to go to Wal-Drug, I'm just gonna drive right by. And so I'm driving and then you, know, you get closer and closer and you're seeing you know, five cent coffee, you know, uh, free ice water and the Buffalo Burgers and you're seeing all these signs and as I'm getting there, you know, there's one after the other and I decide I'm not gonna go. And so as I'm driving by, I see the exit and I'm decided I'm not going. And I drive by the exit and as I pass the exit and I'm not kidding with you, as I drive past the exit, I feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> I literally feel like, man, you know, maybe it'll be a little better this time, right? But it's never going to be any better. It's always going to be, you know, a drugstore and buffalo burgers and I'm a vegetarian, so it doesn't work. But nevertheless, so the devil does the exact same thing. He gives us these repetitive memories. Don't you remember when you used to do that? You remember how nice that was? you remember how nice it was to have a cigarette in the morning? Do you remember how nice it was to look at pornography? You, you know, or whatever it is, whatever it is. And so these memories, so he uses them like billboards to the point where you feel like you're missing something. But you know that there's nothing there. Sure, there's a moment of satisfaction, but in the end, it is empty. So we need to replace those billboards of the devil with some other billboards. Every time those thoughts come up, every time the temptations come up, we need to take the promises of God, and we need to say, God, you said this. I know that the devil's telling me this, but you said this. Father, give me strength to be an overcomer. Father, I need strength from you. You promised that there's no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. But you are faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. You said that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Father, I know you're going to make a way for me to escape. And so we go with these billboards and they begin to change. See, the devil's changing our mind by getting us to behold these billboards. But if we are dwelling upon God's word, he is changing our mind. And if he changes our thoughts, that's going to give us new actions, that's going to give us new uh, Habits. habits, and then we'll have a new character. So your thoughts will work out your actions. The repeated actions form your habits, and your habits form character. And God wants to transform your frontal lobe and your character to determine your destiny in the favor of heaven. This is what God wants to do. We don't have time to go into all the rest, but let's bow our heads for... Just before we do that, I just want to let you know if you have any, if someone wants to know more about it, we do have some of the DVD, the series up here, the Overcoming Seminar. We have just a couple of our Creation versus Evolution seminars, and we have our documentary series. If you have any interest, we have a booth that's number 703, and we have just a few of them in here. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love. I thank you that you call us to be overcomers. Even though sometimes we may wonder, how on earth can I change after I've been this way for 40, 50, 60, 70 years? Reality is, is we can't change in and of ourselves. But we thank you that through your Holy Spirit, that you can change our thoughts, that you can change our actions, that you can change our habits, and you can transform our character into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we want to draw near to you. We want to experience the joy of overcoming. Not not to be saved, but as a result of the salvation that you've already, you know, given us. That you have given us such a joy and we behold your son. And that as we behold him, we're changed into his likeness. Father, we realize it's not some kind of psychological game. And it's not just some eat this or breathe this way and it fixes all your problems. No, we realize... It is from the divine strength that you give to us. But at the same time, you have given us simple health principles and remedies and nutrition to help make this road, this battle of life, all the easier. And you've asked us to do these things, not to keep, away, keep us away from you know, just the you know, things that are tasty, but to give us a deeper experience than we've ever experienced before. Father, we commit our lives to you. I pray that you draw each and every person here nearer to you. And I pray that we can meet again sometime in your kingdom made new when you can recreate this world, Father. We thank you for your love, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: This media was produced by Audioverse
0: for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org.